Well, about a year ago, I remember uh, clicking on Netflix in the evening looking for something to watch. Have you ever done that? Um, and I checked out the top 10 list. It's kind of the top 10 things that people are watching or viewing at that time. And I saw a, a miniseries that was out and quite popular a year ago. Um, it was called The Spy, and it was starring Sasha Baron Cohen. And I quickly sort of uh, dismissed this as something to watch because uh, much like uh, people said about Nazareth at Jesus' time, I thought, you know, can anything good come from Sasha Baron Cohen? I mean, he was Borat after all. Um, but I, I looked into it a little bit more and found out that this wasn't like his other movies or his other shows. Uh, here's what The Spy is about. It is the telling of the real life of an Israeli spy in Syria in the 1960s. His name, ironically, was Eli Cohen, no, related, no relation to, to Sasha. And what was interesting is that he lived a, a very remarkable life as a spy. Here's what happened. Um, he impersonated a wealthy Syrian businessman in the Damascus area. And because of his affluence, but also because of his ability to schmooze and to just be able to talk with people, he actually became friends with some of the most powerful government officials in Syria. In fact, he would have them over for parties at his house, this spy did. And in fact, right before he got caught as a spy, he was in line, get this, to be the minister of defense in Syria. In his position, knowing the people that he knew, he knew the things that were going on militarily for Syria and was able to pass all that information along to his comrades in Israel. Here's the thing. The most dangerous enemy is the one you're unaware of. The most dangerous enemy often is the one that you're not thinking about, the one you are unaware of. I mean, think about Syria. They could have had the best tactics, the best plans in all the world, but because there was an enemy on the inside, because there was an insider enemy in their midst, it didn't make a difference at all for Syria, the best plans, because Eli would just pass them along. The most dangerous enemy is the one you're unaware of. Um, we're starting a, a brand new series today, as I've mentioned, and it's called um, I Declare War. And I, I realize that this series title is pretty aggressive, it's bold. Um, it elicits a call for action. It's courageous. It elicits bravery. And that's exactly what we need right now. Because, once again, the most dangerous enemy is the one you are unaware of. I want to kick off this series today by talking about and pointing out what that enemy is or who that enemy is. You know, I did not 
live through the Great Depression, not old enough for that. Um, didn't live through World War I. I don't know what it was like to be an American during that time or World War II. But when it comes to my lifetime, this year of 2020 has been the most challenging, disruptive, turbulent year of my lifetime. And when you think about the enemies that we've been facing as Americans and the things that we should declare war on, (laughs) depending on what you're thinking about, there could be a long list. In fact, uh, maybe some of these would be on your list. Could be a virus, a foreign country, a political party, a political leader, a news source, a social ideology. A racial bigotry. And the list, I had more, could have gone on and on. And in some ways, either big or small, there is a battle, there is a fight, there is a tension that needs to be had around each and every one of these things. But that's not the enemy. These are not the enemies that we're going to be talking about in this series when it comes to our need to declare war. There's another enemy that I've, I've noticed, that I've felt in myself, that I've seen in people as I've had a chance to talk and to counsel them. And instead of me just explaining what it is, let me show you how scripture points to it, and then I'll clarify it. So a first century pastor named Paul he writes about this battle or war that he had going on inside of him. Here's how he put it, and I wonder if you can relate. He says, I know that good does not dwell in me. And then he clarifies, because there was good in him. He was a Christ follower. And so he clarifies, that is, there's no good in my sinful nature. For, and here's how his sinful nature showed itself, I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out, at least not fully, at least not totally. For I do not do the good I want to do. Ever had a New Year's resolution? Or making a line in the sand, things are going to change, I'm going to do better, and then not follow through? Paul understood that. But the evil I do not want to do? This I keep on doing. Now, he talks about what's really going on. If I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it. But it is me. It's the sin living in me that does it. Now, I know these words are kind of convoluted and they can be kind of confusing unless a pastor goes through them slowly, like I hope that helped. But the reality is, is when you understand these words, I don't know if there could be a person among us that cannot relate to this battle, this struggle inside of us. Um, Another pastor, James, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, he happened to be Jesus' half-brother. He wrote this about quarrels and fights. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, at their root, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? That there's stuff inside of us that make it really hard to get along with other people. (laughs) 
There's stuff inside of us that make it really hard to forgive and to be patient. Until we get to heaven, there is going to be, as the subtitle of this series says, a battle within. An enemy inside of us that, we're going to talk about this today, that ultimately cannot overcome us by the power of Christ, but yet still battles for our hearts and our lives. And it's an enemy that we can't just sit back on our heels. Because if we do, he's going to have more influence in our lives. That we need to draw that line in the sand And that in this series and in our lives, our first fill-in, we need to declare war on the enemy within. We need to be on the offensive. We need to recognize what's going on and then do all that we can with God's strength, with Jesus' power and help to minimize the power of that enemy. It's our sin nature inside of us that until heaven we are going to be half to struggle with but it's also the devil gets his fingers into things too where he tries to tempt us to live not according to our new life or our god nature but instead according to our sinful nature and to get even a little more specific today over the next 4 weeks we're going to hone in on on a specific part of who we are. It's our minds. It's the things that we think about. It's our thoughts. Because here's what the devil knows. The devil knows this, that if the devil can mess your mind up, it'll mess your life up. If the devil can mess your mind up and get into places where it shouldn't be, It will have an adverse effect on your entire life. It will mess your life up. Something that's been happening often this year. Let me me start first with some statistics from the CDC. Uh, They did a comparison on some things between the second quarter of 2019 and the second quarter of 2020. In 2020, compared to 2019, and none of this is going to probably totally surprise you, but it's probably worse than you thought, people with anxiety disorders, it's a mind thing. And there's a lot to it. Sometimes there's a biological, chemical thing too. But anxiety disorders are up three times over one year. Four times the amount of clinical depression or depressive orders. And then as you might imagine, because all these things kind of go together, that drug and alcohol abuse is up as well. And then, as a pastor... You get the privilege of being friends with a lot of people. And it is awesome when people come and just kind of talk with me about what's going on in their hearts and minds. And, and anecdotally, I will tell you this, that there's more people talking to me and Pastor Matt about struggles in their lives right now than I can remember. And one of the questions that I often get asked is this, what do I do? 
What do I do about? And whether it's some event that happened or a lot of times they recognize that they're not feeling the right things. What do I do about my anxiety? What do I do about my depression? What do I do about my anger? What do I do about my fear? That's why we're having this series. And I'm not going to give you this, uh, th- this, this idea that when the four weeks are done, then all of a sudden you're not going to struggle with mind things anymore. Uh, that would be a promise that I could not keep because remember, until heaven, we struggle with our sinful nature. But here's what I do know. I do know that in Scripture, there are truths and promises and tools that can help us. That can, in the midst of a horrible year, (laughs) can help us declare war. And we may not find perfection in it, but certainly God gives us direction in it. So as we get started today, I want to sort of smoke out what the devil's plan often is. You see, he is the great deceiver, and he would love nothing else than for us to be mentally and spiritually dragged down. And sometimes we just need to recognize the tactics that he's trying to use. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. Got a perfect world, the Garden of Eden, two people, their names are Adam and Eve. God said, I created all this for you. There's one way that you can show me your love and show me your worship. There's just one tree in the middle of the garden that out of love for me, in your act of worship, I ask you not to eat from. Let's be reminded of what the devil does. Chapter 3 of Genesis, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And that comes to fruition even more, that uh, craftiness, when we recognize that the devil took on the form of a serpent. He said to the woman, did God really say? And notice, in that very first sentence we find of the devil in the Bible, he's going after the mind. He's creating doubt, or trying to, in the mind and heart of Eve. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. True statement, verse 4. You won't certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. And then he messes with her. He plays mind games with her. He uses a little bit of sliver of truth that things would change if she ate of the fruit, but he uses that to paint God as holding out on her. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, 
knowing good and evil. And there was some truth to this because before fall into sin, what did Eve and Adam not know? They didn't know evil. They only understood or knew good. And yet the devil, the great deceiver, plays mind games with Eve. And so what happens, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she bought into the lie, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And I've already hinted at it, but let's be really, really clear. I want you to notice the devil's tactics. He didn't just come out to Eve and say, eat the fruit, Eve. You should really eat the fruit. He goes after her thoughts and her mind. And he gets her to question things. He gets her to get her focus off of God's promises and instead calling into question God's love. And in fact, at the end of it, what she really is doing is she's questioning whether what God had in store for her, that is a life, but not eat from that one tree, that what God had for her was not enough, that the food that she had was not enough, that how God had created her was not enough, that she was not enough. That's how the devil works. He recognizes, fast forward now thousands of years, that we struggle with a sinful nature, that we battle against. Paul wrote about that. And then he tries to to go after that weakness. And he does it so often through our minds and our thoughts the soundtrack of our thoughts, the soundtrack of our minds. Um, our second fill-in before I miss it is this, that the devil's plan is to plant. The devil's plan is to plant seeds of doubt in our hearts and in our minds about who God is and about his love and about his provision and about who we are and what we need and what the future is going to be like, and what really matters, and what really counts, and who we are compared to other people, and what they have, or who they are, and on and on and on. You know, soundtracks can be powerful. I remember when I was in high school, Um, As a senior, our basketball coach said that the seniors could get together and uh, put together for pregame warm-ups a, and for you youngins, you may not recognize this uh, term, but a mixtape, okay? What that was was a cassette tape with lots of songs put on it. We could put together a mixtape to play during pregame warm-ups. And so, you know, remember, it's the mid to late 90s, and 
we've got on there Green Day and Guns N' Roses and a whole bunch of stuff like that. I still remember the first song that we ran out to was uh, Welcome to the Jungle, which is not the greatest song in the world. I'm kind of surprised that they okayed it, but I I do remember that we picked that song because it got us pumped up. You know what was not on there? Um, Michael Bolton, not on there. Um, Yanni, no, no Yanni on there. Pavarotti, no, nothing like that on there. Because, once again, the soundtrack that you play makes a difference. It's, it's powerful. <laughs> Let me fast forward a few years. We don't make mixtapes anymore, but we do have playlists. And some of you have a lot of playlists. You might have a playlist for basketball or going to the gym or a, a playlist with what I'd probably guess would be different music than your gym music for going to sleep, or a playlist for traveling in your car, or a playlist for studying. We put playlists together, and we pick messages or music that fit that particular situation or that circumstance. What's the playlist that you listen to the most? Let me ask it a different way. What are the messages, the sermons, the silent sermons that you are daily telling yourself? No one else is telling you it, but that is rolling around in your mind that you're telling yourself. I wonder if sometimes we find ourselves getting into trouble because one of the messages we can often tell ourselves is the same message that Eve told herself when she thought what God had given to her was not enough. It's the the message, not enough. Not enough. (laughs) Do you think you ever play that playlist in your life or in your mind? I'm going to test you, see how you, I have some questions here that see how you answer them. How about this one? How much sleep did you get last night? How much do you have saved in the bank? How much weight have you lost? How much love are you getting from your marriage? How much confidence do you have about the future? How much do you know about parenting? Ding, ding. (laughs) How much do you know about pastoring? Or how about pastoring in a pandemic? (laughs) Not enough. How much do you know about anything? And when you bring all of that together, you know what we begin to tell ourselves? You know what we begin to think about? I am not enough. What I have is not enough. What God provides me is not enough. The devil's favorite playlist is not enough. Enough. And when we get that soundtrack running through our minds, well, it's time to declare war on that silent sermon of the deceptive devil devil, who tempted Eve with that message and is trying to do the same with us. Not enough. You see, 
that's not the playlist that we need to be running through our minds. And I want to show you why. It's powerful. You know, uh, after Adam and Eve sinned, the perfect world got messed up big time. It would no longer be perfect. Physical death would now be a thing. But even before God announced the consequences to sin, he announced something else. In verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3, just nine verses later, God says to Adam and Eve, I will put enmity, do you know what another word for that is? War, struggle. There's going to be a war between you, the devil, and the woman, Eve. They're going to continue to battle against each other. And between your offspring, devil, like the demons, and her offspring, the woman's offspring, and then there's going to be one of her offspring that is going to battle against the devil and against his offspring, and that one offspring of Eve is going to do what? Crush the devil's head. But it's going to cost him. It cost him a great price because the devil would strike that one offspring's heel. And fast forward thousands of years from this moment, there's a boy named Jesus who's born in Bethlehem who lives his life and perfectly fights against every single one of the devil's temptations and opportunities to go after his thoughts and, and lies towards Jesus. You, you might think of Jesus in the wilderness and how the devil just, that deceiver, kept attacking him. He perfectly navigated that, and then through his death, and then in his resurrection, he crushed the eternal consequences that the devil could have over us. <laughs> There's not much that would be more satisfying for me than, I don't want to get too morbid, than maybe not necessarily crushing a snake's head but getting rid of them. I don't like snakes. <laughs> but this crushing, it's, it's the one we needed the most. He nullified the devil's eternal grip over us. And yes, we need to be self-controlled and alert. We need to be on guard and sometimes we need to wage war internally against the devil and his attacks. But don't ever mistake it. The battle has been won. Jesus has already won the war. You and I, in spite of our nasty thoughts and, and, and our inability to do what we want to do, like Paul describes, we still have heaven. And in fact, some years after Jesus crushed the devil's head, the Apostle Paul writes this. He writes, thanks be to God it's not just that Jesus was victorious, that Jesus was a victor. He, by faith in him, as we put our trust in him through the Holy Spirit, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Who are you? Child of God. What does that mean? We won. God calls us victors. We are triumphant. And I think we need to remember that. And this doesn't mean that in the midst of the battle that we're going to win everyone. Not this side of heaven, we're not. We continually battle against that sinful nature. But here's what I do think. I think that sometimes we see ourselves too much in our lives as being victims of the past or victims of the present. That, that our lives have been so hard that of course I'm going to feel this way. Of course I'm going to be this way. And yes, we need to work through that stuff. But there comes a certain point where we draw our line in the sand and we say, you know what? I am not going to be a victim because I am a victor. That Jesus has given me heaven. That I have nothing to fear in this life, even if this life stinks. And that with him, I have the power not to be perfect, but to fight back and to be better. You see, maybe I could put it this way. We don't always know what tomorrow brings. And I'm not saying that your life has been easy. It's probably been harder than mine. And the things that you've struggled with in the past or the things you're struggling with in the present, if I had a chance to hear your story, I would probably affirm for you, yes, that's been, those have been struggles. And yes, I can understand how you feel. And then after we talk about that, then we need to recognize, but I also know who you are. That with Jesus on your side, you are our next fill-in. You are a victor in Christ. We are victorious. Now, as we close up today, like you haven't even gotten to 2 Corinthians 10 yet. 2 Corinthians 10 is the application that we're going to look at real quickly. This is describing then what as victors can we do. 2 Corinthians 10. In verse 3, Paul writes to the Corinthians, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Paul is recognizing that there is an enemy, that there is a battle going on, and the most dangerous enemy is the one that you don't recognize, that you don't know that's there, but Paul does, and now you do. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. I, I don't know what he said, swords? I don't know if they had swords back then. Arrows, whatever. We might say bombs and guns, okay? We don't fight this war with those weapons. On the contrary, the weapons we have, love this, don't have your power. But the weapons we have have God attached to them have divine power to demolish strongholds. You know what strongholds are? Anxiety and fear and depression and anger and frustration and all those feelings that you're trying to figure out what to do with them, those are strongholds, okay? Verse five, we demolish arguments and every pretension Every message that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And here's our application. We take captive every thought to make it obedient 
to Christ. Here's what that means in a nutshell. And remember, this is the general sort of um, introduction. And over the next three weeks, we're going to get specific. We're going we're to talk about specific tools. We're going to look at um, specific things that we're feeling. But in general, the entire series is going to have this in it, that everything we feel, every thought that we have, we have to run through the filter of Christ and the gospel. Because we are victors in Christ. And so we take that thought, we identify what it is that we're feeling, and then we make that thought that the devil would like to manipulate us away from God, we make it obedient to Christ. We run it through the filter of who God is, who Jesus is, and who I am. And in that way, as we identify those thoughts, you know what we're doing? We declare war. And it's we, because you're not on your own. God walks with you. You know, as a victor, (laughs) as a child of God, you have the powerful Holy Spirit working in you and through you. We have God declaring war with us, even though the battle has already been won He works with us every day and helps us to demolish those strongholds. Uh, Let's go to our fourth fill-in for today. It's this. So I, I think in a world where we so often have the playlist, the silent sermon running through our brains of I am not enough or this is not enough, that we need to revise your playlist You need to pull some tracks out of that playlist. You need to do a search on Spotify and put some new tracks in your playlist. And what it needs to say is that, yes, you are not enough. I'm not either. But Jesus is enough. Not enough for you to get this perfect. But he is enough for us to declare war and to do better. You see, I want you to hold on to this today because it's a a theme that encompasses this whole series. Jesus' love is more than enough. Jesus' strength is, come on, say it. Jesus' power is Jesus' grace in your life is more than enough. And I pray that that soundtrack plays through your hearts and your minds, even in a season where so many other things are trying to attack it. Because with Jesus, you have more than enough. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, I pray that all of this, as I share your word, your truth makes sense to the hearers. But here's what I also know, because I live it. Man, it's hard. The devil is relentless. Our sinful nature is always there. And yet you're always there too. And your truth and your 
promises have the power to demolish strongholds. And I pray through your Holy Spirit and through this series, that's exactly what happens. And when we fail, when we're not perfect, remind us of the forgiveness you've won and truth of even then our victory because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.